0: And so then, yeah, on the day of this acquisition, there was, you know, about $60,000 in my, in my checking account up from the normal $2,000. And then sure enough, I clicked refresh on my bank account and then it went to over $2 million.
1: Welcome to the FI show, where you get a behind
2: the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the FI show. Today we have on Jeremy Schneider from Personal Finance Club. But before we get into that, let's check in my co host, Justin. What is going on, man?
1: Well, Cody, if I hadn't destroyed my FI card enough by buying a house in Austin, Texas in a crazy market, I thought, let's just burn this thing to the ground. So I did officially go get my new pickup truck, my brand new F 150. I did do a little bit of frugaling though. I took, uh, you know, most people thought I was crazy. You're in Texas. Everybody's got trucks. Everybody sells trucks. Why are you flying to Philadelphia to buy a pickup truck? But it was an $84 flight to Philadelphia, and it saved me pretty close to $5,000 off of uh, any other dealer that I could find anywhere in the United States outside of one in Kansas not much to see around Kansas no disrespect to my Kansas folks but flying up to Philly allowed me to drive down near the DC area where I had a few folks that I used to work with in the military so I got to spend a, a two separate nights with them so that was awesome turning into a road trip and actually making my way down to Mississippi where I'll spend a few weeks for Christmas and what better way to celebrate having a new car than to drive the dang thing so you know what I think it was a great idea
2: I think so too look at all of that creative frugality. So this past weekend, I actually had a surprise little engagement party thrown for myself and my now fiancee, Lauren. Shout out to my friend Gabby for organizing that. She made us this like all Greek charcuterie board, went out of her way to go to this like specialty Greek store because we got engaged in Greece. Got to hang out with some friends from college that I hadn't connected with in a while. Also working the Christmas tree farm again this past weekend. And this is the last weekend actually because my uncle just sold out so much of the inventory and how it works is... I mean, you can't just go and sell his entire farm in one weekend. Like, he has to have a hard cutoff, or else he won't have any for next year that are, you know, the appropriate size to be cut down. So he shut it down on December 4th, which is just crazy. It's 21 days before Christmas, but you know, I worked the tree farm during the whole weekend. My forearms are definitely still feeling it again. I know I complained last weekend, but <laughs> it's always a grueling and physically taxing job. And one more thing, I'll definitely keep you guys in the loop about is we are actually going to be listing one of our rental properties down in Connecticut this coming week. So, you know, it probably won't close for another 45 days after that. But I have never sold a property before. So, we'll definitely keep you updated with the listing process, how that goes, any things that maybe I didn't realize. Cause I know Justin, you and I both, when we went to buy our houses, we had interviewed all these people who had invest in real estate. And then we go to do the thing, and you're like, oh, didn't know how to do that. Oh, didn't know how to do that. And there's just, So many hoops you have to jump through and so many different hurdles and obstacles that you don't see coming.
1: I'm sure you'll learn a lot, but hopefully that's a lot less stressful than buying one. It seems like a lot less can go wrong once someone is like, okay, here's your money.
2: (laughs) That is what I'm hoping. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Many of you have already started investing, but we still get questions all the time about how do I start? And that's why we're super excited to recommend Jeremy Schneider's investing course. Jeremy is a master at simplicity. In his words, he says, this course gives a simple and comprehensive walkthrough on how to build wealth by investing. There are no secrets in this course. It's the same information you'll find in all the classic books on investing. if you already started investing like me and like Justin and like a lot of other members in this community, you know that's true. There are no secrets, but a lot of times that hurdle can be just to start. Justin and I were granted access. We checked it out. It's legit. There's been over 10,000 people that have gone through the course with rave reviews. And can you learn all this information online for free? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. I'm not saying that. But making a small investment like $60 helps keep people accountable. I know for me, I take things a lot more seriously if I pay for them. And if you already have all your financial ducks in a row, you can actually gift this course as well. There's a gift button on the course page. So to sign up with the discount $20 off, go to thefyshow.com slash pfc dash course. That's thefyshow.com slash pfc dash course. And make sure to use discount code FISHOW for our limited time $20 off coupon. All right, so on today's episode, we have on Jeremy Schneider from Personal Finance Club. I first got introduced to Jeremy on Instagram a couple years back, and fast forward a few years, and he had grown his following from like 3,000 to 300,000. This guy knows what he's doing, he's methodical about his approach, and he's just a really good, well rounded entrepreneur. We get through his entire entrepreneurial journey where he actually founded a company way back in the day, straight out of college, that was basically servicing different landlords and helping people get listings up. We'll get into that in the episode. And also how he exited that company for a $5 million sale only to, you know, get bored for a couple of years and then go on to create Personal Finance Club, where, like I just mentioned, he's grown that to over 300,000 followers in just a short two years. And he is changing lives across the world.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed how his actual company that he created, the website he created, was kind of this David versus Goliath feel to it. Like he's got all these giant companies who are in that same space, yet he had such a good, sticky product. It just really goes to show you that no matter who you are, what size you're dealing with, if you've got a really good product, that you can have a lot of success. And like Cody mentioned, now he's taking that over to the social media world. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they listen to the show, they're going to want to go check out that Instagram account, and they can find that link and share it with others over at thefyshow.com slash Jeremy. That's thefyshow.com slash J-E-R-E-M-Y. Take it away, Jeremy.
0: I actually started investing when I was 17. I found this very recently. I like say a lot of records, and I got a summer job as a camp counselor, and my dad very cleverly knew the rules of the Roth IRA that were, are that you can't contribute more than you earn per year. And this is the first time I had ever had earnings and so I think I made like twelve hundred bucks. And so he took twelve hundred of his own bucks and like basically gifted it to me inside of a Roth IRA, explained what he was doing and, you know, talked to me about it and I learned about investing. I basically became an investor at seventeen. So I definitely had like a great role model and a head start in that regard.
1: And was that just like one example of, you know, how y'all kind of talked about finance and, you know, the little IRA thing, or was that a common theme where you talked about finance a lot? It was always in the household. He continued to teach you more about investing.
0: Well, my dad's Jewish, so money was a (laughs) common topic to this day. In fact, to this day when we talk, I mean, you know, he knows what I'm doing with personal finance club, but money is is always discussed whether, you know, often in, in the frugality or investing, I gave that example just because it shows that like, you know, at the time, I just thought that all kids had that experience. You know, When you're a teenager, your parents start helping you invest. But as an adult, I realized that's pretty atypical, actually, and I was really fortunate. Both my parents talked to me about money, and they both were good with money. And so I definitely was very lucky in that regard.
2: And how about entrepreneurship? What were your parents' occupations growing up? When did the entrepreneurial bug start to bite you? Because you didn't take the most traditional path. You didn't go down and become an accountant just because you liked personal finance. I Actually turned down a
0: job offer from Microsoft. So I graduated with a degree in computer science and turned down that job offer. And um, that was a little bit different than my parents' path. Strangely, I have a computer science degree from the University of Michigan, as does my brother, as does my mom and my dad, the black sheep, has an electrical engineering degree the University of Michigan. So it's definitely like the family field of study. No one in my family had ever started a company before. I had interned at Microsoft for two summers. Great company, super nice. Was fortunate for the opportunity, but I didn't really like working for a gigantic company. And I also was dating someone who was still had one more year of school left when I graduated. So I didn't feel like I could just like leave town and go join the Peace Corps or something. And so can't get a real job, can't join the Peace Corps. It seemed like the only other option was just to start a company, which is why I did it. It's like not a very, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you must have just been so inspired by this, like this idea you couldn't give up. And that really wasn't it. It was just like, I didn't really want a real job. And so I just thought I would give it a try.
1: But did you think going into college that, that was going to be something you're going to do? Like you were going to do your own business or did you ever think, no, I need this degree because I'm actually going to use it. I do want a regular job. I'm just not sure what it is yet. Because that's a lot of times when I hear people who go directly into entrepreneurship, I'm always interested in why you go to college in the first place.
0: That really wasn't my plan until like the last moment, to be honest. I never thought that I had the leadership skills or the, not the ambition, but I I always figured that I would be like, the second or third person in, like the, you know, I'm a tech guy. Is like they're gonna some like really strong leader would, would need like a technology person. Like I would be that guy. My senior year of college, like messaged some small companies being like, you need a tech guy. It's kind of funny because like now from my perspective of the world, I feel like entrepreneurs are like tripping over themselves to find like a, a CTO or a chief technical officer. And so maybe I could have found a spot if I looked a little harder. But I also was like a 21-year-old kid who had no idea what he was doing. So maybe I wasn't in that high demand. Um, but yeah, that wasn't my plan. I just was going to school because I thought I would get a job. I thought maybe I would you know, be a, the second or third person in a company years later and just kind of like fell into it because I didn't want to work at a big company, couldn't find a job at a small company. I graduated college in 2002 and 2003 with my undergrad and master's and the dot-com boom was like in the late 90s. And so my first couple of years of college, I was like seeing like money fall from the sky for anyone who had an idea. And so, you know, certainly the, the seeds were planted that I was like, oh, maybe I can start a company and make millions of dollars. But quitting school would have been a crazy idea for me. I think my parents would have been very pissed too.
2: <laughs> so can you talk about those first couple years of entrepreneurship? Because I think a lot of people don't appreciate the grit that goes into it. I know me when I quit my corporate job seven months in, I was only spending like 1000 to 1200 a month. And that was like, the only reason why I could go and take that leap is because my money just went so much farther. And I know you have a similar story, Jeremy, could you walk us through those first couple of years and like the difficulties, the struggles and what type of money you're making with that business?
0: So fast forward a bit, like I sold this company, I started at the end of college, at the age of 34 for just over $5 million. And when I'm like a 41 year old dude, who's like, yeah, I started a company in college and sold for millions of dollars. It just, it just sounds like, okay, he was always destined for success. Like that was a foregone conclusion. But in the moment, it doesn't feel like that. You know, I don't know how free will or how the world works, but certainly in the moment I, it wasn't going well, you know, like my first year in business, I made $14,000. That was like the company's top line revenue. After expenses, you know, I maybe took home like $8,000 to live on. And this was in 2003. So, you know, it wasn't ancient times like 8,000, like that 8000 is maybe 12000 today. a day, but like it wasn't nearly enough to live on. And I used credit cards. Like I literally racked up $10,000 in credit card debt in that first year just to like pay rent and, and eat groceries. And like you said, like I was living extremely frugally. My rent was like $400 a month. I would only shop in Meijer if like, Never would buy the national brand. There's always the generic brand. I mean, if I ever went out to eat, it'd be like Jimmy John's or something where you could get like a $5 sandwich. I mean, I just like didn't have any money and it was terrifying to me to be like, you know, using a credit card. I wasn't trying to use it like recklessly. I was planning on paying every single dollar back. And yeah, so at the end of that year, if you asked me like, is this definitely going to be successful? I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. I mean, and you know, the fact that I got people to pay me $14,000, I was actually pretty jazzed about that's a lot of money. And from the perspective of a college kid, that was like more money than I've ever seen before. But, you know, it wasn't enough to live on. So it was a rough goings early on.
1: And can you walk us through a little bit more about what the business that you created like was and especially what it looked like right when you started it out of college and then what you thought it would become?
0: If I I describe the the step by step from the beginning, it's like so ugly. And, And I like doing that because I think, like you said, everyone has this like. This like, idea is like, oh, it's always perfect. But it was called Hercules. So yeah, I was a senior in college. I like Googled for domain names or whatever. And I, and I found an available one called Hercules Solutions. And I was a computer programmer. And so my plan was to write custom software. So other people, like I had just been trained by this university to write software. And I assumed people out there in the world wanted software. So that's what I would do. And so I registered HerculesSolutions.com. And, and there's like this like wall of text that was like the homepage that was like, do you want custom software? I write custom software. And it was like, you know, just a, it was a total mess. And I actually changed the name because that wasn't working well. It turns out that people don't really search for custom software. They want their specific problem solved. In that first year I was just trying to sell anything, you know, like anyone who needed a website, anyone, anything I could do to make money I was trying to do. And I finally sold a website to one of my old landlords. I wasn't making any money, I was broke, and so I knew that he had a terrible website. So in my during my day when I had nothing to do, I would f- spent three straight days just like building this new website from scratch. And this was like kind of a long time ago, so there weren't all the website builders and stuff. And I like, downloaded like all the photos of his properties I could find and I basically made like a nice little website. Yeah, I emailed it to him. No response, crickets. I was like, "Oh man, that's a bummer." I like wasted three days on this, but you know, I was so shy. To this day, I still like I'm shy calling people on the phone. But I was like, I got at least for three days of my work. You know, it's not a huge deal because I wasn't making money anyway. But I at least got to get a no to my face. So I called him up. I said, "Hey, I'm a former tenant of yours. I made you a website. Did you get my email?" He said he didn't, and I was like, "Oh, can I send it again? And would you mind taking a look?" And he said, "Sure." And so he did. And actually, like was hosting it on a computer in my living room and so I could see like how many people were connected to it. Of course zero people connected to it. And then like I hung up and then like I opened up that monitor and I was watching it. And then there's like one person connected to it. I was like, I was like, hooray. And then there's zero again. I was like, oh and then there's like silence again. I was like, well, I mean at least I at least I tried. And then the phone rang and the dude called me back and he's like he's like, yeah, that looks great. He's like, we'll take it. And I was like, what? And he said, how much does it cost? And I was like, I didn't think this was gonna go this quickly. I didn't even think of a number to tell you yet. And so I literally just made up a price on the spot, which is like $3,000 plus $300 a month. I don't even know how I came up with that number. And it seems like extraordinarily high, but he was actually, he said, would you do $2,000 and $300 a month? And I was like, sure. <laughs> uh, I was like, let me check with my boss. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Cause there's still like more money than I'd ever seen. So, I mean, you know, that was lucky. It was an, like easy sale. They never were actually were that easy ever again, but that's how I actually got into the rental housing space. I basically kept selling websites to landlords.
2: And so at what point does it become, okay, I'm sick of just selling these websites to landlords. I want to build my own product. I want to build my own solutions. There is born rent links. Could you talk about the beginnings of it? And then like Justin was asking kind of how you were planning to scale that business.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so that's kind of what happened next, which is I was like, dude, if I just sold this for 300 bucks a month, if I could sell 10 websites, I would have 3000 bucks a month, which was like basically unlimited money as far as I knew. So that's what I tried to do. I, still, I just kept selling websites to landlords and it went okay. You know, I sold a few, had some few customers. It turned out that's like kind of a hard sale to make because they don't like messing with their website. They don't know how it works or that it's not like a need of theirs. But over time, I started having more customers and I found out like all my customers have this like common need. Which was to basically do advertising. They wanted to post their apartments online, and there were individual websites we could post, but some of them were good, some of them were bad. And so over time, and just like learning from the customer, I figured out, okay, I'm going to change the name from Hercules Solutions to RentLinks, and then basically be this like link to all the rental sites. It's basically basically rental housing syndication, as we call it, where our landlords could post once on my website and automatically feed it to all these other sites. And this was over the course of like several years. I'm kind of embarrassed how long it took because I was probably like two years in before I changed the name. I was probably four years in before I changed like the product. And so like four years is a long time when you're like doing this. And so yeah, four years, I changed the product to basically be instead of just websites for landlords, it was this advertising service where anyone could come and sign up and post their apartments for rent even if they didn't want to change their website, then they could just pay just for that service. Um, and once I kind of like found what I would consider a better product market fit, um, then we started kind of growing much more quickly.
1: And was this something where, say I'm looking for a house to rent in Austin, I go in there and I tap in Austin, I see all these different ones. And as long as it's someone who's contacted me, they could be listed on there. Or is it like every organization has their own portal where like you go to this tenant's portal, I mean, uh, this landlord's portal and you see all the things they have to offer.
0: So the way it works is like, as a renter, you could go to Zillow or apartments.com or rentals.com or apartment guide. And there's like 50 apartment search websites. As a landlord, it creates a challenge of like, how do you post to all these different sites and keep a consistent presence? And so with links, you can post once automatically be on all those sites. So we're kind of invisible to the renter. But if you go to Zillow to this day, it's kind of funny, like still my friends will like send me listings. I was like, oh, like that listing you're looking at is there because of code i wrote you know 15 <laughs> years ago and like you know there's still like c- computer code i wrote 10 or 15 years ago still exists on the internet so when you go to zillow and you search san diego apartments and filter by two bedrooms the things that pop up not everyone typed it directly into zillow a lot of them typed it into my website we like syndicated those listings so yeah and then from the renters perspective they just only deal with zillow they email them through zillow like we're not part of it and then from the landlord's perspective well, no matter what site a renter finds you on all those leads are, are filtered directly to you coming through so you can look at rent links and see all your this sounds like a rent links ad i don't work there anymore i have no financial <laughs> stake anymore but it's a cool i mean it's i spent 12 years of my life building it so i'm proud of the technology of the story yeah we want to unpack it
2: so what did revenue look like i know during that first year you had the whopping fourteen thousand coming in building all these websites for realtors and then a couple years later sounds like four years later you rebrand you kind of find your perfect fit in terms of clients when did it start to become real? When did you start making money? And you're like, wow, this is a seriously viable business that I can scale.
0: Till the day I sold it, it was never making me rich, really. So the first four years, I could probably almost quote you because I I basically ran that company for like 11 or 12 years. So the first four years, it was just kind of like 14,000, 30,000, 60,000, 100,000, just kind of ramping up. So in the fourth year, we probably did $100,000 in revenue, which is very, you know, I mean, at the time, again, I was like just this college kid. So I thought that was great. But that's not much to run a business on. Then when we changed the business model, it started ramping up faster. You know, we, we met have saw 200,000, 350, 600. And then our, our last year before we sold it, we were doing a million dollars in revenue. I just was kind of like sociopathically focused on growing the business, not enriching myself. And so I never paid myself more than $36,000 a year. I was always the lowest paid employee at the company from the day till the day we sold it. And all the money we had, I would just, as soon as we could afford it, I would just hire the next person to help. Accelerate the growth, you know. Some of my engineers were making six figures. You know, everyone was making more than me, and so you know, I, I knew that I had like a viable business. You know, we were to the point where I wasn't losing sleep over making payroll or anything anymore. But still, million bucks a year in revenue in this technology world is is like nothing. We were like a minnow swimming with sharks, and so I definitely was like worried about the prospect of you know getting stamped out of existence through competition or through a lawsuit or who knows what.
1: And I know you said you didn't like lose sleep over being able to payroll, but then you kind of mentioned, right, like the competition could come along, could copy what you're doing. Uh, Zillow could kind of come out with their own thing or whatever it is. Did you have worries about things like APIs breaking, like something where one thing changes and all of a sudden nothing that you've created works anymore? Because I guess what I think about is people who build their entire business only like on Facebook or whatever it is, and they change that algorithm. And now your whole business is hosed and you have to kind of change how you're doing things.
0: That's a very real threat to consider as an entrepreneur. We had like 50 partners or so. And so individual partners were constantly breaking. And that's what made our business really difficult because this was just like a little bit like herding cats because you have like 50 different technology companies who have 50 different APIs and 50 different development resources. But the thing that we had that was extremely powerful was, you know, the attention of the property managers themselves and the landlords, they were logging into our site. And so I think that made us at the time, I thought, and I still think that that made us powerful and, and threatening the bigger companies because we owned the data, right? Like you described, Justin, like if we were just scraping Facebook posts and we could, someone could shut off our supply of data, then we would be in big trouble. But with us, you know, we also owned our own rental search site. So if some, you know, if you Googled San Diego apartments, the site was called show me the And so show me the rent might pop up. And, you know, that was getting like millions of hits a month. And so there was like lots of, Despite, I didn't didn't love the business model of kind of being at the mercy of all these partner websites like, you know, the Zillows and everyone, but we still had lots of those and we had our own and we had the attention of the property manager. So I think we had a little bit of a strategic foothold that was going to last beyond, you know, one tech giant wanting to swat us out of existence.
2: But even though you did have that, some of that protection, it sounds like you had some of that intellectual property pretty close to your chest. You were still planning or at least strategizing and thinking about selling the company one day. I'd love to hear for those in similar positions who maybe are software developers or who have a business. How do you go about doing that? Like, is it literally cold calling big companies, sending emails saying, hey, you want to buy us? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there does exist or there do exist business brokers who you can talk to but i think that we would need to be much bigger i think they're more like if you're doing like hundreds of millions in revenue then they will like start to like network of you know venture capital or whatever for small companies uh you know i think it's you know like i think my parents told me something is worth as much as someone will pay for it and so we were worth zero as long as they were willing to pay us zero and if we could get more then maybe we're worth something they also say like businesses are bought, not sold. And so I think if I just like went around and was like knocking on doors and be like, hi, we have this, you know, we had something pretty interesting. So maybe we'd get some callbacks. But as soon as someone is, as soon as like a small business is like asking to sell itself, it just is like a really big red flag. And, and so like what happened was I was at a, a conference one one year. It's like the National Apartment Association Conference. And I went to this party, this big like tech company in this rental space or this, this real estate space had like thrown this party where like they rented an entire block of downtown and like every single restaurant was like free. And they like had like big name band playing. And like, it was just crazy. And I like, I was just kind of like doing the back napkin math. I was like, I bet they spent a million dollars on this party. Like, there's just no way you can do everything that I'm seeing here for out for about a million. And I was like, the fact that they can spend a million dollars on a party and like my annual revenue is a million dollars, <laughs> like that's a very concerning like mismatch of proportions to me. And so I was like, I need to like strengthen my foothold in this space even further. And so what I did is I started messaging a bunch of other companies to set up partnerships. My goal was never to just, my eventual goal is to sell the company, but my immediate goal was to just to make us more like locked into this space where we have even more data making us more of a threat to these other companies and it, it just so happens that one of the companies you know no one even answered my calls doing this by the way no one wanted to partner but one such company that i thought would have been our best partner did answer their call and it turns out they weren't interested in partnering but they did end up being interested in, in buying us and they did end up buying us and so to someone out there listing how do you do it like And also like, you know, we're 20 minutes into this conversation and I was working on that for 12 years. And so it's like, there's a whole bunch of stuff I did that never went anywhere. You know, like when I just tell the story of like how it worked out, it seems like there's a clear path, but there's all sorts of dead ends. And like, you know, we had a few little nibbles. People like mentioned acquisitions that like, you know, just died off. And I was probably young and naive. Like, you know, I sold it at 34. So most of this was happening in my twenties, but that's what ended up happening is just, you just doing what we were doing, trying to grow, trying to be profitable, trying to like be the best company we were going to be. And then we got on the radar of someone who was like, oh, wait a minute, this is interesting to us. And then we ended up getting acquired.
1: And this is obviously something you poured like a ton of time and energy into. So I have to imagine when that day comes and you're getting ready to get rid of it, like that's a big emotional event. But was there something you saw on the horizon that made you nervous and made you want to sell? Or did you just feel like you'd kind of taken it as far as you wanted to take it and, and you wanted to, you know, take an offer while the offer was there?
0: People ask me like, why did I sell a lot? And, you know, the answer is I was making $36,000 a year and they offered me $5 million. And I, I mean, maybe I really wanted to grow the company, but I'm not like that was like life changing money. And, you know, I was, I was driving a 1999 Ford Explorer Sport. I was living with roommates. I was like living in in Southern California, like 36,000 is like, you know, not much above the poverty line. 5 million bucks is like life changing money. Frankly, like I, I never really had like just this like life burning passion for rental housing, advertising syndication. I think I built something cool, but it wasn't like what I woke up every day, just like knowing that that was like in the fiber of my soul or whatever. And, and also like, if you don't sell the company, I don't know how do you stop, right? Like we only had seven employees, including myself. And so I couldn't really quit. I couldn't really, like, if I wanted to ever do something else with my life, which I did, like, how do you get it? So selling it kind of solved all those things for me.
2: So this past weekend at Economy, you shared that video of when the wire transaction finally came through, when the company acquired you. And it was an astronomical amount. Your net worth increased by a multiple of... Man, I don't even know, like hundred? <laughs> I mean, yeah, multiple
0: doesn't even matter at that point, yeah. You know?
2: It was crazy, but I'm curious, like I guess let the listeners know what those numbers were, like what the number was before and after the wire transfer. And then once you kind of realize that you have that amount of money sitting in account, like what's next? Do you go and buy a nice card because you want to congratulate yourself? Do you throw it into index funds? Do you buy real estate? So my net
0: worth at this moment was about a hundred thousand dollars. And that 100,000, I just got the old-fashioned way by living below my means. So even though I was making 36,000, I was living on like 31,000 and investing 5,000 a month or so. I was living on 31,000 dollars a month and investing 5,000, so my net worth was 100,000 dollars. And then, right before the moment of the transfer of the, of the wire transfer from the, the purchasing company, I actually drained the business bank account, and my business bank account had about 90,000 dollars in it or so because just to support a team of 7 payroll was probably 50,000 a month or whatever and so we had you know a couple of months worth of uh, like runway in our checking account and so i drained you know i drained i owned 70% of the company so i drained 70% of the of that cash into my account my mom owned 30% of the company so she drained the 30% into her account and so then yeah on the day of this acquisition there was you know about $60,000 in my in my checking account up from the normal $2,000 and then, sure enough, I clicked refresh on my bank account, and then it went to over $2 million. Um, and, you know, my share of the, of the $5 million was actually $3 million, but, you know, they just, they did the first wire was $2 million, Then there's, like, some, there's, they kept some of it for six months later, like, a, they called a retention bonus. Um, and some of it went to taxes, some of it went to lawyers. Um, but, yeah, $2 million bucks show up in my account, and it was cool. But also, like, it was very surreal because I didn't know if that was a lot of money. Like it was more money than I ever seen before, but so was like $100,000, right? Like (laughs) how much more is 2 million than 100,000? It's like, it becomes very, is that like you're set for life money or am I going to spend this all in a few years? And so it actually took like like a few years to sink in. And I didn't buy a car for probably, and six or eight more months and my 99 ford explorer finally like you know i now was employed by this company that acquired us and i was like flying up to santa barbara where their headquarters were and like on one such day like my car just broke down again and like i needed to get to the airport and i was like i was like all right jeremy like this is kind of getting kind of reckless you need to like go buy a car so i went and bought myself a brand new mazda for you know thirty thousand dollars or something i looked at my bank account like a month later and you know you couldn't even tell right like thirty thousand dollars into two and a half million or whatever it was like Like I I couldn't even tell you how much was in there before and after. You didn't even notice. I was like, I was like, oh, two and a half million is a lot of money. Like you know, you can buy a car and not even notice. You know, buy a car in cash. So yeah, it took a while to sink in, and I was now working at this new job of mine.
1: I gotta ask because you mentioned your mom owned thirty percent of the company. Does that mean your mom got the one point five million?
0: Yeah, obviously, like
1: after some you know some, some taxes and things. But
0: yeah, and I think she was a resident of Texas at the time, so I think that they have no state income. And I was a resident of California, and so she paid dramatically less taxes than I did because I you know, I had to pay 13% California tax. I mean, my mom, I sold her 30% of the company like 10 years earlier for $1,500, and so her $1,500 investment turned into over $1.5 And also as a term of the uh, acquisition, we negotiated her retirement, so... Before we even sold the company, we're like, hey, my mom's old. She's not going to want to work for your like young tech company for much longer. So six months after the acquisition, we just declared her retirement date. And then, yeah, she has been retired ever since then.
1: So your mom was actually working for the company. It wasn't just like a financial backing. She was actually working for the company.
0: Uh, my mom has a degree in computer science from the University of Michigan from 1974. She was a full-time employee from that day. In fact, she even... Yeah, I mentioned this in my talk that we keep referring, but no one listened to except for Cody. But like she worked for free for like the first year because when I was making 14000 she joined like a year after that first year. She wasn't doing it just as like charity. She thought I was smart and thought there was potential. But she also had savings from her previous career, whereas I was like, trying to live on this company. So she agreed to like, let me take the first salary and we agreed 3000 bucks a month. So once I started making 36000 then we paid her the next 36000 and that actually remained both of our salaries until the day we sold the company.
2: Well, that sounds like the best investment your mom ever made.
0: <laughs> Probably in terms of like ROI. Yeah, you can't, you can't really do a whole lot better than 1500 to $1.
2: $1.5 well, spoiler alert for the audience, I know you no longer work for Rent Links or I guess the company that acquired Rentlinks. So what did those next couple of years look like after the acquisition? Like when did you end up leaving the company altogether?
0: Yeah, I worked there for two more years. They didn't have any sort of employment contract for me. They just believed in the carrot, not the stick. Great company. I love them. I love them every moment I worked there. I love them to this day. The company's called up Folio. It's like they're doing fantastic. They're just good people and they said, you know, we're not going to try to like lock you into a job. And so for two years I worked there and it was great. And then after about two years, I started to realize that some other people could do my job. I went from being like this very small company entrepreneur to being like a pretty big company middle manager. I wasn't like totally bad at it necessarily, but I think someone else probably could have done better and also would have like appreciated that position. I also thought that I could probably be doing better at other things like more entrepreneurial. So yeah, I left my job on the best terms two years later. And then I found myself unemployed at the age of 36 or retired, depending on how clickbaity you want to be.
1: And when you're unemployed slash retired, did you have like this burning feeling almost right away? Like, I've got to create something else. I got to create the next thing.
0: I didn't at first. I had been like grinding for so long and just like trying to make it work. I just, it was like a release valve. And I, you know, actually the very first thing I did was I think four days after I quit, I I flew to Italy and coached beach volleyball in Italy for two months. It was like this gig that I'd heard about that I could never do because I wasn't that type of person. But all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. Like I have a blank slate. I can do whatever I want. And so it was like amazing to like be able to jump on opportunities like that. I played video games for like a year. I played Starcraft 2 for a year. I was terrible at it. I'm still not very good. I actually got installed cold turkey. But it, it took about a year of that to like realize that there's something missing pretty bad. And I think that a lot of people, for almost everyone, money is kind of like our financial tension in life. You know, we all think like, if I could get the next raise or the next house or the next car or the next bigger paycheck or whatever, then I'll feel better. or Then I'll have made more progress or then I'll be successful. And I had basically done the math. My net worth was about 3 million by the time that I, um, you know, quit my job and I was like, I can live on that forever. You know, I, I knew the safe withdrawal rate was 4%. I lived on way less than that. I could live on like 1.5% of this. So I was like, I'm, I'm financially set forever. And so all of a sudden, this primary tension in all of our lives, for me, was gone. And there was no tension. And I found out that I was like, oh, this doesn't feel great. You know, because... It was cool that I did this thing, but pretty quickly it's like that fades and it's like, well, what have you done for me lately? People are like, what do you, you now?" I was like, I don't do anything. I'm a piece of shit. I play video games all day. You know, (laughs) that's like, that's not a very good story. And it's not fulfilling, you know, like I think Starcraft like or or video games in general, kind of like recreate this like little feeling of like tension where you're like trying to beat someone and get points or whatever. But then as soon as the game ends, it's like you're back to zero. It's like a, it's like a drug high or something and you, you don't feel any like real progress. Um, And so that's when I decided to start my next thing and actually like, you know, grow something for real.
2: All right. Let's dig into that next thing. Cause I remember when you first started your Instagram account, personal finance club, and you had a couple thousand followers, I blink and you have a following of over 300,000. I mean, let's just dig into that because you're obviously doing something right. You're creating something that a lot of people are really attracted to or can easily, easily digest. Did you go in with like a formulated plan when you started this or was it just like an altruistic giving back type of mission?
0: Like I said, the rent links was never my passion. I never just had this like soulful passion for rental housing, but I do for personal finance and I just, it's weird. I just love helping people. If people ask me how to set up the Roth IRA, I love that because, you know, and I still love it to this day. Like every single day of my life now, basically someone's like, oh my God, I learned how to invest and now I'm going to become a millionaire because like no one ever, ever told me what buttons to click on a website before and you did. And I love that. And so, and so that's what I want to do. And so that's why I started. And actually the name, the name personal finance club comes from, I used to just like casually help my friends. They wanted to like set up their Roth IRA or learn to invest or whatever. And so we would like go and drink and, and hang out and like, you know, open up a fidelity account. And we, we jokingly called it personal finance club. And I just had called it that so often I was like, I needed to start the same thing. And in fact, personal was taken. So I was like, Oh, and so I, I tried some other names. I was like grasshopper finance for a while. I was going to be like Mr. Money Pants, but then there's like Mr. Money Mustache, which was like way too close. And he was going to sue me or something. Super nice guy. Just met him this weekend, actually. And, and so then I was like, all right, I just got to go personal finance. But I ended up just buying the domain from like, the, the domain squad that was holding it. Um, yeah, so and it wasn't really, you know, that his intention to be a business. I didn't think it was a good business. I don't think, it, you know, helping broke people on via instagram is like a good business model it was just like what i love doing and i like growing things and if i could be like an instagram influencer as like a, I think i was 38 or 39 when i started the account as like this awkward almost 40 year old white guy like be an instagram influencer like you know that's that's growth that's like attention i like trying to grow this thing and so it wasn't just like a money grab at all it was just like just something to build um and so as i did yeah and the intention was okay when i when i decided to do this like follow my passion help people with personal finance where are they? And I said, they're on TikTok. Like, this is where millennials, like, 20 and 30-somethings are. Sorry, not TikTok, Instagram. This was, if it was today, I'd probably say TikTok. But it, it, this was uh, almost three years ago. So I said, they're on Instagram. So yeah, I, like, cracked my knuckles and started an empty Instagram account and then started posting every day with, like, the very purposeful intention of, like, growing it. I, I set a goal of hitting Fifty thousand followers in the first year, and you said, by the way, it was like a blink of an eye, but it wasn't. It's like really a daily grind. I think, like, I think my best ever day was like two thousand followers of growth, which is a, a ton for sure. But you know, three hundred thousand still takes a long time. You know, my average day is like five hundred followers or something. So, you know, I'm just grinding every single day, and only from the outside does it appear to be happening overnight. But for sure, it's still one of those things. It's like overnight success takes about a decade.
1: And for those people who haven't come across Personal Finance Club, does it have like a niche? Like, are you trying to go after one kind of age group or one kind of person, or is this just all kind of general finance and it's kind of good information for everybody? Yeah,
0: you know, I'd say our niche is really helping people learn to invest. Personal finance could be a ton of different things, so it could be budgeting or credit card points or extreme couponing or you know who knows what. And just the thing that I like because it. it it connects with my very analytical left brain is, you know, how do you set up an investment portfolio? Why are index funds superior stock picking, all this kind of thing. And so, you know, in terms of demographics, you know, it's people who are new to investing. I hesitate to like put an exact age or gender or race or anything on it because it it could be any of those things. But, you know, generally, you know, people in their 60s aren't usually starting their investing journey. It's usually people younger, but, you know, oftentimes it's people in their 50s who like haven't done it yet. And, want to not be broke when they retire 10 years down the road.
2: What do you think you did differently from other creators, whether you know, Instagram or not, that made you so successful? Even if it is the constant grind of 500 followers a day, like you're clearly doing something right. There's other people who post every day who have not even close to your follower count or as loyal of a following. So is there, is there anything that comes to mind when I'm asking that question, like something that you did intentionally or unintentionally that kind of made this, this you know, quote unquote rapid growth possible?
0: So there's a lot of things we could probably have a whole hour podcast about my Instagram growth, but I'll, I'll give you the big ones. Like first, it didn't start this way. The first month or two, it was like I only had a couple hundred followers. I was posting every day, putting a lot of like I was doing research, like making videos. I was trying, I was trying to really hustle, and it like wasn't going anywhere. You know, it's not my concept, but there's this concept of lead metrics and lag metrics. And a lag metric is the thing that you're tracking that you want to happen. So I wanted more followers, but you can't just like get a follower. That's not directly actionable. And so the concept is how do you influence the lag metric? And that's by identifying different things that you can track called lead metrics, which are directly influenceable and are predictive of the lag metric. So I was like, okay, and this was like, you know, after a month or two of like not really making much progress, I was like, all right, Jeremy, you're supposed to be this entrepreneur, like do your thing, like claim to be an entrepreneur. Like what would you do if you were trying to grow this like a business? And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna identify the lead metrics. And those lead metrics I identified three. It's like how often I post, how often I make a story, and how often I comment on someone else's post. Because every time you comment on someone else's post, you're like engaging with the community. And, and that comment contains a link in the form of your username, that goes from their posts to your account. And so the more you comment on other people's posts, the more links there exist. And so then I started tracking these lead metrics and none of this excuses the quality of the content. You can't just, if you just comment like, DM me for investing tips, like you just spam and people are going to ignore you or delete you. I would only ever leave a comment if I like really thought I could add to the conversation or I had something funny. Um, And so I, you know, and then I, in addition to those lead metrics, I just tried to make really good stuff. You know, I try to put a lot of effort in, you know, I'll leave this person nameless, but I was helping someone with their Instagram account um, this past weekend and he had posted more times than me. So I posted like 800 times and he posted like 900 times. And he had he had under two hundred followers. I don't mean to laugh, it's like such a dick thing to do, but like but I was like I was like, Bro, you only have two hundred followers and you've posted nine hundred times, like you gotta change something, man. And so I was like looking through his posts and he's like I was like, you know what this looks like? It looks like you paid someone on Fiverr to just like put random inspirational quotes over like really corny stock photos. I was like, how did you how did you make all these? And he said, well, I paid someone on Fiverr to put really corny quotes over <laughs> <laughs> really terrible stock photography. I was like, I was like, oh well, yeah, that's what it looks like. Part of it is just like the hustle on the lead metrics, and then part of it is just like you know, being honest and, you know, and you can't make shortcuts if, you know, I feel like people have such a, you know, consumers of social media have such a nose for like, you know, garbage automated, whatever, you know, it looks, just looks like an ad. And so like when I post, I like, I'm really, I try to, I just try to be like vulnerable, authentic, honest. I try to work hard. I try to like do a lot of research, really back up my numbers, source my stuff, like, you know, do it all right. And then And it's subtle, you know, you can't, if you just look at one of my posts and one of someone else's posts, they might look similar. But I think, you know, that subtlety has a lot of importance. People like realize and appreciate like the work that goes into it.
1: And if you are just focusing on investing in general, and you mentioned earlier, like why index funds are better. So especially if that is kind of the way you're going down, not picking individual stocks, but doing index investing. I could imagine that like you could run out of content fairly quickly. I mean, like, I can think with like stock picking, it's an endless thing. There's, there's always another company you can analyze and whatever, but it's like, okay, you should invest your money in VTI and go home. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, on, on the surface, my, my brand has everything going against it. Well, not everything, but lots of things going against it. You know, for example, yeah. Index fund investing is not interesting it does not provide a lot of content. It is not visual on a very visual medium like Instagram, and so to like create content every single day around buy and hold index fund investing, it is challenging. And there there have been a few days where I have like I was like, all right, I have writer's block. Like, and and to be fair, I only have three or four posts. I only have three or four posts, and everything else is just like an iteration of that. And you know, um, and and so what I've learned, like another tip to growing is that you know what what people connect with is stories. And so while yeah buy VTI, buy and hold, leave it for decades. Don't sell until you retire. minimize fees. Don't, don't time the market. You know, like the basic rules of investing, you can get out in like a half page PDF. Um, but, you know, and, and the three of us might be different because we kind of live and breathe this stuff. But like regular people who don't have, you know, finance podcasts, um, <laughs> you know, they connect with stories, right? And so I like to a story. I'll be like, Sally is 30 years old and, and makes $40,000 a year. But she decides to just like cut a little bit of spending, pick up a side hustle and start investing 500 bucks a month. And by 55, she's a multimillionaire. And it, it, something as simple as that, people are like, oh, OK, I can see myself as Sally. Probably one of the most common questions I get is like, I'll say like Sally is 30 and someone will say, but I'm 35. What do I do? I'm like the same thing. <laughs> just like, just like, out of five years or whatever, put more money. In. It's like it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. But you know, But it just shows like how people want to connect with like their story, you know?
2: Well, there's a million different post ideas just having, you know, age 10 to age 80 (laughs) and have all these different scenarios. Joe is
0: 31. (laughs) Cindy is 32. Like every single age. Find your age. Just keep scrolling until you see it.
2: So even though this kind of started out as a passion project, you did have growth in mind and you are a guy who just like likes hitting the next rung, hitting the next milestone, clearly with rent links and selling the business. But this thing started bringing in serious revenue over the past couple of years. And I know it was multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're also donating a portion of that. I'm curious, one, where a lot of that revenue is coming from. And two, what the kind of future of the company's economics are looking like? So it hasn't even been a couple
0: of years. We launched our very first ever paid product in October 1st, 2020. So 13 oh, wow. and a half months ago. It was literally just being bored during the pandemic. This was like kind of middle of pandemic fall or whatever. People ask me the same questions over and over. How do I invest? And so I decided to make a video course. I was going to offer it for free, but I was like, you know what? People don't value free. They're not going like, to finish the course if it's free. And if I charge something, I would be able to like, hire people to like, create even more free content. And if I charge something, I could like, make this an engine for good and donate something. And so that's what I decided to do. I decided to donate 20% of sales so not even profits 20% of sales which is kind of like puts my back against the wall a little bit because i have to be a very profitable company or i'm going to be in the red we launched this course and so i've never done an affiliate deal i've never done a, a paid post i've never done a click funnel like i our our, our revenue was zero across the board but for this one video course that we launched and and we even try to make it very cheap. The average, our average sale is about 60 bucks. You know, the the list price is 79, but it's often on sale for, you know, 59. Our, we launched it for 49. And so, yeah, the first day we launched it about a year ago for 49 bucks, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna do. I think it might make a few thousand bucks based on, I think I had 100,000 followers at the time. Um, you know, you know maybe if like 1% of followers buy or whatever, you know, like I was kind of doing the math, Like, but even 1% seems like a pretty big conversion because right? I know people on Instagram aren't often just like randomly buying stuff you sell. Uh, but yeah, the first that first week, we did $110,000 in sales. I was like, whoa, damn. And the first year, it's been over 600000 And so, yeah, it's going up. I did hire. We're going to hire again soon. Uh, we're going to keep cranking out content. You know, I don't know. Like, this doesn't, you know, it might all go away tomorrow. This doesn't have, like, that same, like, you know, links had the attention and user base and this content, like lots of these, like, these like more non-concrete benefits whereas we just like have these one-time sales and like an instagram account you know and we've got some web traffic and a tiktok we know it's not like we're totally a one-trick pony but definitely the instagram is most of it but yeah the, the goal is just to keep cranking and growing across like all platforms and helping people and um yeah maybe release another product one day you know i'm not really big into squeezing like you know we've sold what you know 10 or eleven thousand copies of this and there's 330 million people in the US. And so it's not like we've tapped out the market yet. I would much rather sell more of this course than just try to like take my little set of customers and like squeeze them to death for more money, you know?
1: Well, it does sound like you're doing some good. Like you said, that comes out to what? A little over $200,000 that are sorry. No, a little over what? $120,000 that would have been given to uh, what kind of charity have you been given this to?
0: Yeah, we donated, I think $125,000. Just this last month, we donated like $35,000. It's like the numbers are crazy i mean it's like feels really great to be able to like do this and and that's kind of what my talk was about which is like instead of thinking about in terms of like how much i'm losing i think about in terms of like how big can i make this donation and i think that actually helps accelerate growth but most of the money to answer your question goes to give well which is a charity that basically identifies other charities that fill the deepest needs and so they're like you know if you these things have to be ranked because how do you know if we just give the same amount of money to every charity, that's not probably the best of the world and like saving a life is probably better than like getting a dog a fancy Halloween costume or something. Maybe they're both good causes. I don't know. And so they basically identify like how you can save the most lives, like reduce the most poverty, reduce the most like, you know, medical issues, things like that. And so we usually will write like for every, every like $20,000 we write to them, We'll do like a few thousand dollars to smaller charities that are local or suggested by our followers, things like that. And the other ones really spread the gamut from everything you can think of.
2: Awesome. Doing awesome work, man. Well, I think we're wrapping up for this episode. We might have to bring you on for a round two. It's like an Instagram masterclass or something. But, you know, I kind of like doing these, you know, holistic episodes because we could have had you on this guy, Jeremy, who you know, built an Instagram account launched. And within one year, he had $600,000 in sales, but that misses out on all the early fun stuff, like living on $14,000 and having all these failures and not knowing if your company's going to make it. So if people want to follow along, I'm sure you're, like you said, you're going to keep on chugging out content on your Instagram channel. Is that the best place for people to interact? And if not, where are some other places?
0: Yeah. Personal Finance Club. If you Google it, you'll you'll find me. You can follow the website, the TikTok, the Instagram, the Facebook. We have a YouTube. Instagram is where most of the magic is currently happening, but we're trying to improve all of the above.
1: Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And if you ever need $1,500 for a 30% stake in any business you want to create, <laughs> let me know. Really? Oh, my. I landed some venture capital
0: on this show. That's great. That's great news.
1: <laughs> and as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thebuyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.